0: Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. You just gotta keep
1: living, man. L.I.V. It's Yeah! This part! No part! Get away from her, you bitch! Oh, Babowski!
0: You got the wrong guy! I'm the dude! It's it it's the you told me you built a time machine! Father's face! of in we buried! You're gonna need a
2: bigger coach. Welcome to the show.
1: Grab your snacks, take a seat. Welcome to the Nerd Check Movie Club, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Jeff. Um, I'm super excited to talk about this movie today with my amazing guest. Uh, Welcome back, Stephanie.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Um, So last time we had you on, we talked uh, Columbo. We did. Which is great. I I can see why that is one of your favorites. Uh, And then tonight for Noir November, uh, you picked a good one, one that I have not seen before. Uh, You pick Sunset
2: Boulevard from 1950. I sure did. I sure did. It's it's a classic for a reason. It's considered one of the most critically acclaimed and highest quality film noir ever made, certainly in Hollywood. Uh, and it's one of those kind of canon movies that I feel like a lot of people just haven't seen. You know, it's one of those things that, kind, that, that we're kind of in this generational shift right where it's like that movie sometimes falls through the cracks and people don't see it unless it's for like a film class or they're a nerd about it and so what I wanted to take this opportunity to encourage people to uh to get into noir because it is noir uh and as a noir novelist and a total nerd for film noir I I really wanted to take this opportunity in November to 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 force it on everyone (laughs) to make everyone fall in love with noir and uh and so I I really you know punch below the belt, give you the best (laughs) to make you, to addict you, to get you attached to noir. And uh, and I did it with Norma Desmond.
1: That is not a bad thing. Uh, Let's start with this. How would you describe noir to someone who doesn't know what that is or has never seen a film?
2: Sure, absolutely. Film noir describes a very large genre of film. It's defined by both aesthetics and uh, themes. So you have a lot of tropes, and then you have a lot of visual cues, and uh, a lot of stories around it. Um, Film noir has origins in German Expressionism and in Hollywood in particular, because a lot of the German expressionists like Fritz Lang, for instance, uh, left uh, Nazi Germany, the rising Nazi threat in Germany, sent a lot of these guys to Hollywood and they brought those aesthetics with them. The absurd angles, the big doorways, a lot of the, you know, the the kind of geometric angles and the chiaroscuro lighting is one of the most defining characteristics of film noir visually. And then thematically, they do a lot of uh, psychological themes, a lot of psychological horror and psychological crisis. They're very existential. Uh, they also get into class issues and they're often a really great way to analyze capitalism. Uh, because so many of these stories would not be happening if people didn't need money. And so that's just kind of a theme that you have going in noir. And uh, it, it it is definitely my favorite overall genre. And I, it's really fun to talk about the movies and how they all fit together. And they've had such far reaching influence, like even on Columbo, Mm -hmm. uh, there is noir influence. You can see it most acutely in prescription murder. Uh, And, you know, because it includes the detective story. You have Big Sleep, you have right. Sam Spade, you have these classic detective stories and, and stories of, of amateur sleuths like the glass key, etc. So uh, that's the genre at large. But Sunset Boulevard is obviously not a detective story. It's very much uh, like kind of like class crisis money crisis as well as this kind of existential crisis as Norma Desmond is uh, succumbing to a madness afflicted upon her uh, by the change in industry and being left behind and clinging to the past is like another big theme in film noir of people trying to hold on to the past and hold on to uh, what they've lost and really it's an opportunity for us to look at how nostalgia is a toxic impulse and these gritty stories show how that yeah. kind of nostalgia um, can completely destroy you. And and Norma is such an amazing character, such a, a noir icon.
1: Oh yeah, she is. Well, and that's kind of, it's kind of interesting because when you, when we were talking about doing this and you had mentioned noir, of course, my first thought is like, you know, Maltese Falcon, that kind of Humphrey Bogart, you know, uh, cops or like private dicks kind of thing. Like that's where my brain went to noir, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of has to be some sort of a murder mystery. mystery. But I think I was very, or I think I was kind of pigeonholing a lot of that. That's not always just noir is just Mm -hmm. murder mysteries. It's even though this kind of is sort of, um, but I, I mean, I like the different angle of it and, and, and everything that you just mentioned about how. There's that nostalgia that she's trying to cling to, especially in this industry. Um, this is the most like Hollywood L.A. movie I've probably seen, or it's like top three.
2: Yeah, it's like, like the tagline is like a Hollywood story or something.
1: Yeah, this is such the industry um, mm-hmm. of, of what it is, probably even now, let alone then. Um, but yeah, it follows Norma Desmond, who is this, um, she was a huge uh, silent film star And then now it's into the 50s where, you know, talkies are all the rage um, and she's very bitter about it. And then she kind of meets this, you know, down and out writer who just needs money
2: Mm -hmm. and he
1: thinks he's milking her. But then uh, it just it goes on this weird descent into madness for her. Yeah. And and then even for him in some ways where he even kind of develops not feelings, but maybe like um, uh, he feels responsible for, I think, in some ways um so it's very interesting and then just plus his narration i mean spoilers for you you know but um he he dies in the first like 30 seconds or we see a dead body and he starts narrating his own life and how it led up to this
2: yeah that's um that whole opening and and those are classic noir tropes and that's another reason i want to throw this in here uh where you have uh the protagonist uh voiceover doing mm-hmm. this cynical narration over the top of it. Uh, you have uh, basically starting with the ending uh, mm-hmm. and then flashing back. Noir is all about flashbacks. They love doing that. So you get started out with the conclusion and then now it's a matter of how did we get here? That's like a big question uh, yeah. that kind of brings in, uh, like he talks about, oh, the, 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 the rags are going to, Post All these headlines and they're going to get all over it in the newspapers and TV and everything. It's this idea of like, we get the story after it's over. Mm-hmm. And that's like so often how noir is functioning, because it's this kind of newspaper concept, you know, or this, re- it's a reporting structure based on our own media structure, because this is how noir comments on media so it's like we get the yeah. end of the story and then we need to take it back in order to see how it actually played out and that's where we get the the noir storyline and it's so it's so interesting and such a wonderful uh mashup of generations that i feel like the beginning of it uh is basically he is um kind of this ultimate cynical noir protagonist uh who is down on his luck and kind of a shit heel and trying to you know work an angle to stay in this industry and and then he ends up at norma desmond's house and it's sort of like all of a sudden he parked his car and he became jonathan harker and he stepped into dracula basically Like, like norma desmond has hardcore vampire vibes in the in the sort of 1920s vamp tradition right and so it's like this this incredible um like car crash of the 1920s very almost horror element that the, the 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 silent film era um crashing right into 1950 um you know, mass produced Hollywood screenwriter guy, basically the antithesis of what she was all about. Why do we need words when we have faces or whatever she (laughs) says, where it's just like, for her, it is all of this physicality and the way she like is her hands are very claw. Like, you know, when they, Mm. when he finally, when he finally um, relents and accepts her advances and, and, and kisses her, and she the way that they fade from that scene she just like takes her claws around his head and just like she's very <laughs> gripping and clawing and grasping and she's watching him read her screenplay clutching her knee so she's got these very vampiric qualities and and then of yeah. course like the first his first encounter with her is uh she's trying to bury her monkey right? <laughs> like, <laughs> which
1: is a very like hollywood thing i just imagine yeah you know like oh this is my super you know my my special pet monkey yeah uh, and then she has this very elaborate funeral and a coffin with you know it's lined and it's beautiful and uh this is the most which kind of going back to what you were saying about is it also deals with with uh class mm-hmm. and how she just is like oh i'm rich it's fine we'll just do whatever we want
2: yeah. and that
1: that just seeps through the rest of the movie as well
2: yeah and it's also it's like There's this madness of nouveau riche, like Max is like occasionally telling Joe these insane stories about Norma, like, you know, some guy like, you know, came to get her stocking and then hung himself with it, like the kind of fanaticism that she inspired, like he's throwing back to that time in silent film. You know, because because film was so new and it was such a revelation, and it blew everyone's dome. Like everyone was obsessed with motion pictures, and yeah. si- silent film actors were absolutely hugely iconic. And these people were suddenly just overwhelmed with tons of money and a kind of uh, uh, adherence and worship that is beyond anything that Hollywood people experienced in 1950. Like it was different. It was over, like they were producing so many more films as the industry began to gain Mm -hmm. steam. And so it was like such an insanely different experience that this movie is kind of trying to let audiences know about that and being like, we've lost, like we don't understand uh, how this used to be. And it's like reflecting on the history of the industry. And yeah, it's wow. Wow.
1: It is. Well, especially because, I mean, if, if you think, I think especially watching this now, as we go through this transition of like, hey, maybe we don't need to watch a movie in theaters. I can watch it on my phone or on mm-hmm. TV, you know, all that kind of stuff. There is an, another transition, probably mm-hmm. like when, you know, video cassettes came out, kind of the same thing. Um, you think back to the, to the 20s when it's a brand new industry. Like it's it's a whole career has been created o- overnight for actors and you know singers and dancers and set workers. Like I mean, an it entire uh, economy was built on this, mm-hmm. and how huge they got worldwide uh, because you know it's it's suddenly shown everywhere, mm-hmm. and you know you're seeing your face up on a 20 foot screen is mesmerizing. I mean it's it's such a it's like idol worship almost, and yeah. how huge these stars were and then you go to the 1950s where he's you know he's trying to pitch like a baseball movie he's like oh it's not going to be great but it'll you know it's something and, and how just like they're just putting stuff out there like just putting yeah. all kinds of shit out there which is what yeah. they even do now
2: exactly you know? it just accelerates and that's this endless growth thing around capitalism like mm-hmm. this movie is very much a sort of like uh if it weren't for capitalism, then the kinds of films that Norman Desmond was making could have continued. Like it's an art form that people could have continued to do because it's its own art form. Form. Like they're, they're doing different things and it's beautiful in a different way. You know, it's a different medium if you think about film that way. Whereas under capitalism, it's this, it's a line and linear and that everything behind where we are now is obsolete. Like the, like the filmmaking process, for silent film is obsolete whereas Mm -hmm. like one great example of something about silent film that cannot be replicated in talkies is the intimacy on set that is afforded by no audio recording you can have directors and you can have other actors communicating with the actor acting to Mm -hmm. guide them as they go like it can be this conversation happening all around behind the camera right and so it's this there's this opportunity for a collaborative uh, cooperative connection between the actor and uh, and the creators and everybody behind the scenes and that's an intimacy that was lost with audio recording at, you know quiet on the set you can't you have to wait between k- takes to give your actor notes like that's just one little way that Like the entire filmmaking experience is fundamentally different and is echoed, uh, kind of acknowledged actually outright by Cecil B. DeMille. Mm -hmm. When when Norma goes to visit the set, he's just like, why don't you sit here and watch? Because like filmmaking has really changed a lot. It's like he's kept up. He continued to move forward. Right. He changed with the times. He continued to progress on. Uh, Whereas she just basically when she was like 30 or something, it Mm -hmm. was it was done. It was over for her and yeah. she could not progress into the talking pictures, which is wild. It's so wild to think that she could not transition because the way she speaks, like, like, yeah, like Gloria Swanson, like as Norma Desmond, the way Norma Desmond uh, uh, speaks and her voice and the way she like, you know, she pronounces things and and how dr- oh, over the top she she absolutely could have done talkies, except that's not what she wanted to do. You're right. She was not interested in talking. She was interested in her face. She was interested in the physicality and being mm-hmm. seen. And that is like a, a whole like thematic element throughout this whole movie is all of these characters feeling desperate to be seen. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, and, and I think especially once you kind of get into the head of Norma Desmond and then seeing how Gloria Swanson is like she has very big movements with mm-hmm. her hands and her face. And because that's probably, that's what you would need to do in a silent film is you have to emote through your movements, through your facial expressions, through your hands. And, and she, she's, that's all she knows. Yeah. Um. And so I think it's interesting how she probably did not. I, I'm curious what her motivations were to not go into the talkies. Was it fear of not being good enough or not mm-hmm. transitioning well? Or she's like, Hey, this, I did great in this. Let's just kind of stick to my, Yeah. you know, let's, Make, make film great again. Uh, yeah. Kind of a thing.
2: I mean, what I've kind of, what I pieced together from my various watches as, uh, Cecil B. Demo comments on this, uh, about her that towards the end, she became really difficult to work with. And so yeah. I think, so I think a couple of things happened. I think one, I think she was stressed out by the whole talky thing because mm. so much of her career and everything about her was about the physical. Yeah. And about, you know, her house is covered in pictures of her. Right. And so yeah. for her, it really is super visual. And that's what she wants to do as an artist. And I'm like, I respect that. That's why, you know, if, if we weren't under the particular economic system we're under, she could have just had her own silent film studio and they just right. produced beautiful art house pieces of silent film. But instead, she could only participate in this one industry. And because she had a lot of anxiety about that, that intersected with the ageism that afflicted uh women in hollywood uh then and now because oh, right absolutely. like she's constantly talking about i've been waiting for this call off for 20 years so she was like 30 she got discovered at 16 by max yeah and then it was into the 20s like she probably wasn't even 30 when this all you know, she wasn't 30 when this started to go down i can't remember when the jazz singer came right. out but basically right. like she like it was probably like a couple of years of denial and then it went down and then she became too, quote-unquote, difficult to work with Which is constant, a label that has been Attached to women actors forever yep. And so I feel like that Then that, that she just kind of got blackballed Like, people were just like, she's old And she's hard to work with And she doesn't want to change her acting Techniques to match Contemporary acting aesthetics Which were very um Stage, very, like, American Stage, which is super Talky-talky-talky, you know, like, there was you got like the Philadelphia story is like the opposite of a silent film. You know, it's just nobody shuts up. It's And that is yeah. where we were at. And so she's like, so yeah, it just, it, she just couldn't continue on the way that the, that the industry required that she continue on. And, and it's a tragedy. That's the tragedy of Norma Desmond. Well, that and her extreme wealth.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's interesting how Hollywood reacts. Cause we even see it now when some new thing comes out. It's like, okay, talkies. now everything has to be, have, you know, like more dialogue. We need writers mm-hmm. for more dialogue. Or like when color, they're like, oh, now it's in Technicolor and Panavision and like smells. And and then when, yeah. th- when like 3D, you know, with Avatar was kind of hitting, like, okay, everything's in 3D now. Yeah. And that, that kind of fades away. Um, there's always this like thing that, you know, oh, this new thing came about and we all have to do it now. Like, yeah. we can't appreciate what the silent films were or what black and white... Because black and white films, y- even now, can be beautiful and they're mm-hmm. a rare thing. Or mm-hmm. it's chosen for an aesthetic, like a Schindler's List kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's a choice to be in black and white. Um, so it's, it's it's interesting how, yeah, they she's forced into this capitalistic, you know, change or you get le- left behind, basically. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then... I, I I didn't realize either just how much money these stars were making like her house is fucking huge,
2: yeah,
1: and you know, it's just so dilapidated by the time
2: Joe gets there, yeah uh, in the fifties and
1: she's but she's you know kept, kept the interior kind of nice. nice and had this it's like um but I mean, there's so much money that was just yeah. there.
2: she is like a full-on like organ harpsichord thing like at a home theater and a pet monkey and like (laughs) that card and she she said it was like handmade twenty thousand dollars or something when she bought it new like it's in she's just like drowning in wealth with oh yeah literally and and what's
1: what's twenty thousand dollars back then i mean that's got to be like a million dollars
2: it's insane like the amount of money that silent film stars were raking in was crazy and this like fits into this kind of larger conversation about Mm wealthy California, you know what I mean? Like, and just, like, how accelerated everything was in California. SART referred to California cities as tent cities. Like, Mm. there's, like, it's all so hyper-condensed, and the wealth is all so sudden that everything is really manic. You know, it's very, very manic. It's very uh, over-the-top, dramatic, $20,000 cars, you know, uh, champagne and caviar every day, (laughs) like,
0: it's always it, you on know, ice. Find yeah.
2: Joe like this insane <laughs> wardrobe. Like she dresses him up like a paper doll. And it's like and, and that's that's the problem. That's why I say like her extreme wealth is is also her tragedy. Because this is this is the problem with like money based systems. Like you see, like this happens to like royalty, but also the extremely rich. If you you're so rich that you can buy enablers, you can right. buy people who will do whatever you say, even if it hurts you.
1: Well, that's you know? like what what Max is. I mean, exactly, a hundred percent. Yeah, he was her. He discovered her. He was a film a director, mm-hmm. her first husband, and then ended up being a servant basically because he felt so. I think he still loves her, but yeah. feels responsible for her and 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 all this. But then he basically is. I mean, he's you know he writes fan letters to make it feel like she still. Yeah. Makes you know like that she exists that people still care about her when no one does. Yeah, he's just enabling this.
2: Yeah, he feels deeply guilty that he did this to her, like that Mm -hmm. this is, in his mind, his fault. But that's Mm -hmm. also a way of controlling the situation for him and keeping him close to Norba. Um, So he's slightly but like Norma can buy enablers in the form of Joe. Like, I feel like Joe is like, is the example that I'm talking about, because uh, he is able to at certain points acknowledge we're not helping her. Mm-hmm. And, like, he feels like he occasionally has those moments of clarity of, like, I'm not helping her. Uh, but he can't ever act on it because of the money. Like, he's he's into it on some level, even though it is uh, hurting his masculinity and hurting his pride. Uh, yeah. But he he still can't help but see how he is being... A paid enabler and that he's just Mm -hmm. like He's offering to do it like I love the Detail of him offering to get her cigarettes being like stop at the drugstore I'll get you your Cigarettes like
0: yeah
2: and and Like that was he offered that You know or like when She's putting on the little show for Him and he's obviously super bored he says show me some more Like he feeds into it even Though he clearly doesn't want it even Though you know I feel like You know she just She wants to be seen and it to be real and he's not seeing her he's just seeing an embarrassment like he's so he's so embarrassed by norma and so embarrassed for norma um he's such a shit heel like he's really (laughs) squandered an opportunity
1: yeah he's not the most likable character um well so actually i kind of wanted to ask you about this so he's never really given much money i think he he's he's allowed to have or the only cash money he's allowed to have is from what she wins at bridge uh playing against like you know buster keaton Mm -hmm. but uh but she basically controls him by paying for everything so he never feels like he can leave or should leave exactly because he has nothing to show for it he hasn't he has no cash
2: yeah i mean on but that's also like uh his like kind of cliche 1950s male pride like getting mm. in the way of him like me as a woman like all the stuff that she gave him like he's you know it makes him feel stressed out that he's being the woman in this situation right like he's right. being showered with jewelry and beautiful clothes and everything he's he doesn't in right away but as yeah. a man he didn't he doesn't understand that historically um women want that or like wanted that or that was a thing for women because then they could take all their jewelry and take all their clothes and go sell them when they had to run away Mm. you know like that's what the engagement ring is all about it's the insurance policy we can't have bank accounts we can't have our own money but we can get furs and jewels and we can we can sell those things and so he's like not appreciating that the being like, okay, he, she's not paying you a salary, which is what you want as a white mm-hmm. man in America. That makes you feel like a real man. Instead, she's paying you in trade. She's giving you all this stuff that's right. super valuable and you could easily sell for a lot. You know, like he could like that's hawk true. all of it, get himself a sweet car, pay for an apartment. Like... The amount of stuff that she bought him is clearly enough to be going along with. But his own it's like he keeps tripping over his own dick like his (laughs) like his shame and his vanity and his like toxic masculinity and his very um, fragile masculinity like really keeps him from appreciating the situation and keeps him from helping Norma. Mm -hmm. Because if he helps Norma, then he can't be better than her.
1: Right. I think he, yeah, he feels that he's better than, than her because for, I don't know if it's being a man or being like, he feels that he's in the modern times, Mm -hmm. but he, he does have, he has a a feeling of superiority, um, for whatever reason, um, that he at least, I mean, do you, what do you think his reason is for why he feels superior, even though she's rich and famous and all this? Yeah.
2: It's because he thinks she's delusional and he thinks he knows what's going on. Like he thinks that he's self-aware. He thinks that he's connected to reality and he sees um, Norma as living in a fantasy world and like not understanding what's going on around her. She's like half mad and like he talks about her handwriting as a childish scrawl. Like he Mm -hmm. says to Betty that she's very foolish you know, so it's like he really just see like he sees himself as better than her because he is a smarter than her and be uh, living in reality. Yeah. But I think that, that it's just not true. Like, it's a hilarious irony because he's not self-aware. He's not connected to reality. Um, he's just oh, yeah. as deluded. He's just as self-deceived as she is.
1: Yeah. Well, and then he's also embarrassed by her. Oh, uh, yeah. He doesn't want to be like he doesn't tell his friends where he's been for weeks or months on end yeah. um he avoids it he doesn't want to be seen in the car he doesn't want to be seen all dolled up yeah you know? so he's also embarrassed by it but then he's still he's there though he's yeah. you know he's still milking it for his own gain.
2: because it's fun like i mean yeah. living in the lap of luxury and like he doesn't really have to do anything except yeah. like pay attention to her yeah that's like it that's basically all he has to do once he finished writing salome like he that was it. He didn't have to do anything except, you know, just be her either. kept man, you know, entertain right. her, sleep with her, romance her. You know, it's like, I'm sorry that you're a wife. I'm sorry you've been wifed. I'm sorry you're a mistress, <laughs> Joe. Yeah. You know, like that's he just thinks that, you know, and that's not right. He doesn't like feeling that way. Um, And I'm just and I just can't help but come back to like, you're just so squandering it. Like if it had been me, this whole story would have gone so much more differently. <laughs> if you, you know, were norma
1: desmond or no if, you if i were was joe, joe
2: if i was joe what would I w- you do i mean well i would have like absolutely been like i will help you write salome but i would have been super transparent with her and just like frank with her and upfront with her about all this stuff and i also would have been like we really need to like get your psychiatrist here and like a real one because the fact that she like cuts her wrists and the doctor just shows up to patch her up and then nothing happens and there's no yeah. follow up. I would be like, if I had been there and that had happened, I'd be like, Norma's going to the hospital,
0: Yeah. you know, well, or,
2: even... or we're having a nurse come here and like, we're dealing with this. Like I would have just like really pushed to like actually deal with the quote unquote melancholy, you know, it's like
1: <laughs> melancholy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like your euphemisms are bullshit. It's and, and just like push her also just like trying to like push her out a little bit to be like, Hey, maybe we could not watch one of your movies tonight. Maybe you could watch a different silent movie. Mm. You're friends with Buster Keaton. Why don't don't we watch one of his movies and you can tell me all the stuff that you know about him and the people who are in the movie. You can dish, you know, and just like work on progressively getting her out of herself, you know, and just hmm. like be like, it's time to be a real person, Norma.
1: Yeah, I so a couple things. I so there okay, so kind of going back to where she cuts her wrists and there's a line that Max says. He's like, "Oh, don't run up the stairs. We don't want to alert the the band."
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, cuz they're still playing, which mm-hmm. is um cuz when he comes back, you know, they're still they it's it's New Year's Eve and they're just paid to sit there and play. Yeah. Um so that and then actually that's that's one of the more believable things uh for me. Yeah. Kind of how Hollywood works. It's like, "Let's cover it up." We're not going to talk about it. Also kind of like politicians, you know, rich people. It's like, uh, this weird shitty thing happened, you know, or like you murdered somebody or you sold drugs to somebody or you're with a hooker, or, you know, sex worker, yeah. or whatever. It's like, but we're going to cover it up because we're just, we don't want to deal with that. That's yeah. a very rich thing.
2: Absolutely. And it's in part because of the whole industry around the gossip. I mean, like that fucking gossip columnist is sitting in Norma's in room, room. <laughs> on the phone While Norma is being questioned by police dictating her fucking shitty uh, article. Like, what? Like that, it's like, you know, she had the the grace to cry as Norma descended the stairs. But Mm. still, like, what is, like, everybody rubbernecking and the just, like, you know, it's the monetization and the commodification of scandal and and crisis and downfall. You know, it's like, it's like this should not have happened Joe should not be dead like it's like this is this is all so easily preventable but there are systems Mm. in place that either coerce or orient people away from actually doing the right thing and that is like noir is so all about that of being like the circumstances are making it really hard for me to do the right thing
1: I think it well because even now um, I think with either Hollywood or politicians or just rich thing, people in general, Silicon Valley, whatever you want it to be, your sports, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're very insulated uh, uh, bubbles. You know, Mm -hmm. you get to a certain point where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of yes people. There's a lot of yes men. Um, They protect the image of what it is. You know, like you think about John Kennedy, who's having affairs with people. They're like, Nope, we just don't talk about that. It's, you know, he's Mm -hmm. still doing his job. Um, But then, uh, so I think, I don't know how easily those would have been. I mean, look at like, you know, Harvey Weinstein. How long he or mm-hmm. Bill Cosby or anybody else went just because, like, well, that's just what he does. But we have to, you know, keep our shit going. So yeah. I
2: don't,
1: I, I don't know how easy it would be to break those systems that have been in yeah. place for decades.
2: I mean, it's they're easy to solve and hard to execute, is what I mean. Of being like, oh sure, yeah, we can look at the situation practical. and be like. The right, the right thing for Joe to do <laughs> mm-hmm. was to be transparent with her, accept the job, and then do his utmost to, like, connect her with a doctor and actually help her. To be like, sure. I am I am positioned right now to help this fellow human being who is in crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. But the system and the circumstances that he were in and how he was socialized uh, make it really difficult to execute in person. And that's sometimes I feel yeah. like, it's like, noir obviously has a lot in common with horror and there are a lot of horror elements. Um, but I feel like sometimes there are these moments where you're like yelling at the screen, you know, and being like, "Don't go in there! Don't do it!" <laughs> it is.
1: Well, I mean, because don't even... open
2: that! Don't touch him! <laughs> like, you know, there are these moments where you're just like yelling at a character to do a thing, and then they don't do it, and that is like, or they do. Like, you're telling them not to do it, and then they do, you know? Right. It's, and yeah.
1: One of the things I always remember from the the one screenwriting class I took, you know, fucking. 20 years ago is um kind of you know that that kind of basic structure of a script is that there's always that moment of no no return Mm -hmm. there's that moment where you're like if the main character (laughs) says nope i'm not going to do this then i mean obviously you have no story but then they're safe you know nothing happens but it's when they cross that threshold yeah and it's like you know because even when he does turn into her property and park his car he could still leave. He could still walk away. Even when yeah. he kind of gets mistaken for the monkey funeral director. It's like, nope, he could have still left. Yeah. But it was like, it was right up until that moment where he's like, oh, you know, I could have read her script and just said, nope, I'm not going to do this and left. It was yep. right when when he said, you know what? I need some money. I'm going to stay. And yep. then that's like, nope, you are done. That's the, right there is your, yeah. your downfall.
2: Yeah. He thought that he. And he's like, I set the bait. You right. know, yeah, he did which was so <laughs> dumb to be like, I, you can't bait the vampire. She baited mm-hmm. you. Like she, she was just like, as soon as you agreed to do Salome, she owned you. Like she was just like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't have to, like you know, we don't have to keep track of costs, you know. Yeah. Like, and that should have been a thing. He should have been like, no, we need a contract. You know, that I feel like you know that sort of element where he just like passively allowed it because he thought that he could control the situation. Yeah. She had this delusion, right? He had this delusion like she's obviously out of her mind and she's vulnerable and I'm going to exploit her, you know, not understanding that in in under these circumstances, she was the one with the privilege and the power because yeah. she is so wealthy. She's oil wealthy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's got so much uh fuck around money she never has to find <laughs> out. And
1: Well, yeah, cuz she even said like she owns some she, or she goes, oh, I own property downtown and some oil fields, and she yeah. owns, like, all kinds of shit.
2: Pumping, 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 I think she yeah. says. She's just, like, she's just rolling in cash and has always been. Like, she's just, and he just doesn't comprehend, he just doesn't comprehend that when he pulls, when he tries to work his early angle, He thinks mm. that this is a quick, a quick scheme, right, to just, like, pound out Salome and then he goes. Yeah. Um, like, I guess, forgetting that he looks like William Holden, you know? <laughs> right. it's. It's like, it's like he doesn't realize that he's handsome or whatever. He doesn't think that, that, that he, it's it's like, he doesn't think that him being handsome is something that somebody can use against him. Mm-hmm. You know, like very attractive people sometimes think that to be like, it's my weapon, the thing that I wield, but actually it's, like, it can be a vulnerability because if he hadn't been like super classically handsome and tall would, yeah. would, uh, ultimate as the, Superficial, uh, silent film star, uh, Norma Desmond, have been interested in him. No, would she want to, Would right. she have wanted to dress him up? Would she have wanted to to take him around places? Would she have wanted to look at him? Would she have wanted to make love with him? Like, would she have wanted to create this fantasy mm-hmm. if he didn't have this princely look? And so he was stupid. Like he was just stupid to be like, rich lady, I'm hot. I am vulnerable uh, to becoming the mistress because he's a man and he thinks that he's in control of it all. And she's delusional and he just super underestimates her. And, uh, and it's like, um, bummer for you, dude, you really should not have agreed to write Salome. You know? I,
1: and I think there's that part of him too, where he's not just the money. I think he wants some sort of status out of this. Yeah. Like, Hey, you know, if I can, you know, she was famous once. If I can, if someone hears oh I'm a writer working with this famous star maybe I can get my my hook yeah. in something else or I can get a a leg up somewhere which then I think shows a lot when he starts to work with um uh, I forget her name the Betty. Uh, yeah Betty who who wants to be a screenwriter mm-hmm. and at first it's it's kind of innocent and you know he's he says oh no oh, go and do it yourself just you know take mm-hmm. it and and run but then he kind of becomes almost a Norma Desmond to her in some ways. I, I felt.
2: Yeah, he, um, well, it's the fantasy he wants. It's the mm-hmm. antidote to his relationship with Norma. Cause Betty is young. She's 22 years old. She looks up to Joe and yeah. is constantly reiterating how she's not good enough to do this herself. And she needs him. And he's so mm-hmm. great. And he's so talented and she's attracted to him, even though she's engaged. And so he, she's the ultimate fantasy for him right now. And that's why like he grabs onto it because he gave up his fantasy of status associated with Norma and realized that, I mean, in his mind, it would only hurt his reputation. I'm mm. Norma Desmond's kept man, you know, like it that, you know, when she goes in to meet with DeMille, uh, he doesn't go with her. And it seems like a nice thing, right? Like, it seems like, oh, he didn't want to steal her thunder. It's like, yeah. no, he didn't want to be seen with her. Right. And, uh, you know, and and he used that as an opportunity and in, instead to escape to betty and to go get a shot to his ego by giving her an idea about the the two teachers sharing the same bed or whatever you know he gives her this cute idea and she loves it and so it's like he can't help it because like that's what he really wants this is this is the working relationship that he really does want which is a very young woman idolizing him
1: which is probably the stereotypical this is what it or how it should be or what he expects it to be
2: Mm-hmm. He gets to be the man. He's yeah. the man in the situation. He's in charge. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. It, he's so uncomfortable with his position under Norma. Mm. And
1: there's such a change in in him like I think bot like he's when he's with Betty and he's kind of in that power spot he's very upright his you know broad shoulders he's you know he's laughing he's witty he's on top of it and then when he's with Norma he's just kind of like slunk over and quiet he just he takes yeah. a very different physical stance as well
2: Yeah he just like goes full passive Yeah, you know, it's like beyond submissive to the point of just like jellyfishing, you know, like Mm. he is just like always just lounging and laying there or like like he's it's like he acts like this is the most horrible chore in the world. And that's the other thing. It just like makes me so mad because I'm like, bro, you (laughs) don't know how good you could have it like you could you have Um. so much opportunity and so much power to make this situation better. But instead, we're, we just have to watch Norma have a have a noir descent into madness as she is enabled by Joe and Max and um, and just, yeah, subjected to to this transition, to this very existential um, transition to failure to be like, yeah. it's just not going to happen. I'm just not going to make my comeback.
1: It's it's such an interesting thing. Um how it progresses, because, I mean, even towards the end, as he finally, I don't I wouldn't say he gets courage, but he, I, I, you know, he finally stands up and is like, I'm not going to enable this anymore. I'm leaving. I'm done. And he, he hurts her. her. I mean, emotionally, you know, yeah. he just says like, here's all the badge, sh- or here's all the shit that Max has been doing that I've been doing that none of this is going to happen. They only wanted to rent your car. They don't actually want you for a movie. Yeah and he crushes her mm-hmm. and but i don't necessarily but then he in turn crushes betty yeah you know so i don't it's i don't think he really got the courage to leave i think he was just kind of maybe he felt like he was getting corrupted in a way or he was becoming norma in some yeah. ways yeah
2: i mean the way that i look at it is um he has this whole time like since he's been with norma living a lie Lying to everyone. Lying to Norma. Lying to Betty. Lying to his friends. Lying lying to himself. And he's just been living this super isolated lie. So it's like how Norma is insulated by lies and isolated by lies. He was also being insulated and isolated by lies. And he had this outburst that a lot of people with privilege sometimes have where they're just like, I can't keep the secrets anymore. And so then they just reveal all the secrets. Right. And it's a, a divesting of, a free, of, of uh, relieving themselves of these lies. Um, and I don't think that he really intended to do that until he saw Norma talking to Betty and he realized mm. that it's like the jig is up. Norma has talked to Betty. That means the line has been crossed. The seal mm. has been broken. There is no going back. Rip the tag off the mattress. It's over. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, I just can't do it. And his first... His way of trying to like feel like a man again, or like feel like an independent, active person, was to protect Betty from Norma. That's why he's so mean to Betty and he reveals his whole being a kept man to her in the way that he does, so that Betty would be horrified and reject him. And that was a performance for Norma. Norma watched and listened to that whole thing, and it made it clear that Betty was not a threat. And so this was a way of, of, Of uh, taking the incredibly powerful rich old vampire's attention away from the innocent young girl. Save Mina from Dracula kind of thing, you know. And and so he he did that as an effort to save her. But then, like, once he had been divested of all those lies to Betty and he was now square with Betty, she knew the truth. um, He just kept going. He was just like, Mm -hmm. the floodgates are open. I'm mad at you, Norma. You just robbed me of my dream. You know, I was like, maybe I could have married this girl and she and I would have written screenplays together and it would have been great. And uh, you took that from me. And it was the only thing I had that made me feel real and like a man and alive. And so then he takes revenge on her by telling all the secrets and all the truths. Um, But that's really selfish. You know, it's like, no, you have to be telling the truths like as you go in the moment. You can't just like. Yeah. You know, you can't just like save them for a rainy day and like tuck them aside in order in order to weaponize them, you know, to be like, I'm going to use this secret against you now. You know, the fact that Mike's Max has been writing these these letters to you. I'm going to I'm going to acknowledge that lie as an assault, as as an as an attack on her, uh, which is really unwarranted. Like, that's just like that kind of like like vengeful behavior is like a lot. You know, it happens in noir and people pay for it because it's like you know that's the psychological crisis like you can't you can push people to snap that's the thing mm-hmm. it's like you know when when joe calls out max about the about the letters like he max replies that like you know madame is the greatest star of them all and that yeah. is when um norma snaps it's like she hears that yeah. and because the like the reality was so brutal she completely turned away from it so it's like he like it's like Joe exposed her to the sunlight, and so she had to just like completely avoid the set the situation entirely, which m- which meant leaving reality and going full delusion, you know, and like oh, yeah. and like her mental illness is now broken, and she just can't connect to the reality uh, at hand and can't accept the reality at hand. So she has she has to kill him.
1: Oh yeah, well, and that even and then segues into the entire end scene where you know, all the news people are there and he's like, Oh, the cameras are here. she's the like, cameras. Yeah. There's cameras here. And then it's like lights. And yeah. like, that's what brings her down and kind of confesses or, or to, to get her to move out of the house is, is that yeah. there's cameras and there's a show to, yeah. to be put on. And of course you get, you know, her great line, you know, I'm ready for my close up. and, you know, cause that's where she feels that's where she's supposed to be is, is back in, in the limelight back in as a star. Yeah, um, exactly. And it, it shows it just how much um, that bubble that – how how insulated they all are.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh, that whole scene of her descending the staircase, though, that is, like, some of the most incredible, mm-hmm. um, like, shot composition and cinematography, like, in all of noir. Like, there's so, so many good angles and movements and arrangements uh, in this, in this film and that whole sequence of her coming down the staircase with her robe trailing behind her. She's shoeless. Uh, you know, it, it, she just looks truly incredible, truly magnificent.
0: Yeah.
2: And, uh, her whole speech is one of my favorites. It's so good. Um, I recite it every single time I watch yeah. it. <laughs> it's <laughs> so great and uh, and so deeply tragic and oh man how much of a bummer must it be for max that she's calling him Demille? (laughs) right
1: i know because he's finally directing again and he's in charge and he's and yeah and he gets mistaken for someone else
2: yeah his whole plot line is such a noir tragedy you know where it's just like he's a prisoner of his own guilt And, uh, and it's like kind of justified, you know, it's like, she was a child, 16 years old, discovered at 16. How long after that do you think they were married? Not long.
1: Oh, right. And, and he's much older. Yeah. Yeah. Or much no, I,
2: older.
1: Yeah. Cause he, well, cause he puts himself, he's like, oh, oh there, there was the, there were three big directors There was like, yeah. Tamil and DW Griffith. And then, and, and then me. And me.
2: Yeah. So yeah. he's an old man. Like he was old. It's this classic kind of pegmalion story right like Hollywood was all about that there were all sorts of directors producers that were all about discovering women I mean
0: oh, Warren Bacall
2: Rita Hayworth like oh uh, you know where you where you make you invent the woman like she's a, persona. a come to yeah. life yeah. yeah and it's like and it's like so it's like brutal it's brutal and violent and destructive and that Norma is uh One of the the really tragic consequences of that model of filmmaking that continued on, like that, you know, that that continued on because they're manufacturing these images, right, Mm -hmm. of these actors for the for the fan magazines and everything. It's all manufactured, very very fake, um, and it is exploiting teen girls and on on every level. And um, Max is like, you know, he feels deeply guilty for that in a culture and in an in, in an industry of people who don't think that that's something he should feel guilty about.
1: Yeah, and I wonder what that says about Max because I, I can see both sides of why he yeah. feels guilty, but then also because the industry's like, no, it's fine, this is just how things work. Yeah. But then he's overplaying the guilt where I think he's maybe trying to fit himself into this fantasy as well.
2: Yes, absolutely, you know? He is obsessed with her. Like, absolutely. I feel, you know, he's writing the fan letters. He means every single one. Oh, yeah. Like, he is completely addicted to her, totally obsessed. And she is incredible. Like, I, like, love Norma Desmond. She is iconic. Her whole manner and the way she just interacts, the way she dresses, the way she's decorated her place, impeccable taste uh, and everything. And she is truly a remarkable person creative person who yeah. should have just like had a storied career and uh you know should be still making movies should be b- writing screenplays should be behind the camera she should have just been a giant of the industry but yeah. she was a woman and if there's you know women don't get to be directors women don't get to be screenwriters like it's very difficult to do at all like it's only in 1950 that 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 betty has any chance of it but she still has to hitch her wagon to the man Mm-hmm. right like she's like i'm not good enough like it still has you know women are still uh just not competent like they they need a man to transform them and to make them into the to the perfect actor or they need a man to direct everything that they do i talked about that intimacy of filming right yeah. so it's you got this woman actor who is being ordered around by a male director <laughs> you know
1: right
0: yeah
2: he's so still it's in like, charge
1: yeah kind of and thing. that's yeah.
2: and so it's like that is a way like Max is basically doing that um, topping from the bottom thing. Basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know,
2: it's like he's her servant, but he is also the keeper of the fantasy. Like he's the well, one who's maintaining the fantasy and in control of the fantasy. Cause he yeah. could stop doing it. If he stopped doing it, the fantasy dies. So well, yeah, he he's has still control.
1: Yeah. He's still a director. He's directing mm-hmm. the fantasy mm-hmm. and, and, and pushing her in, you know, cause even when, when joe finally confronts her and says you know this is all a lie and he goes nope you're the greatest and he kind of redirects that fantasy back
2: mm-hmm. to he, get
1: her she, to where she's and she
2: goes right into it like yeah. she immediately like her eyes widen and she looks up and she's right into the camera and she's just like a star yeah. stars are ageless or whatever you know like she just like slips right into it he knows the like yeah trigger words you know like yes. like like a sleeper agent or something like a, you know uh, he knows those words candidate yeah exactly and so it's like so he's still feel, it's like so he gets to have his cake and eat it too he gets to like um feel super guilty and also self-pitying while also being kind of in charge um right well because said, I think... norma is still the top <laughs> of the situation
1: yeah But but also I think because he enables her and by staying in the fantasy, then he gets to still be there. Because if Mm -hmm. she did legitimately get help and Mm -hmm. was in the outside world, then she doesn't need him, especially him, him being her first husband. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to stick around as a servant through husbands two and three and whoever else came through. Yeah. Uh, So that's it's it's just weird, very codependent. Yeah. it's, It's it's a big kind of incestuous thing. It's weird.
2: Yeah, it's very gothic and uh, yeah. if she like got real help she would be like this is not healthy for you max like
1: yeah it's not good <laughs>
2: here's a severance go start a real life you know like yeah. that's the thing i th- that's one of the things i really find fun about noir and some people are like that's weird where i like to basically be like how could this have been avoided like how could mm-hmm. this have been better you know And because I, I, I feel like i love that about media media is an opportunity for us to uh hypothesize and theorize like how would you handle this situation if it were you what mm-hmm. is the right thing to do in this situation you know and 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 how can we act in a way how can we learn from this in a way that we can apply to our material reality that is the power of fiction and yeah well because even movie... yeah
1: well because even a betty says that uh i think uh, towards the beginning, where you know Joe is like, oh, it's just a it's just a baseball movie to make some mm-hmm. money, and Betty's like, no, film has to say something.
2: Yeah, I happen to like a picture that says a little something. I think is her phrase or something like that. Of being like, I like to there to be substance to this, that rather yeah. than just alan lad playing a baseball player who gives a fuck about that, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, just want to have something meaningful, something serious, and and this movie really I feel like is a movie that Betty would love, like if she mm-hmm. got a treatment of that to read she would be like, holy shit, this movie's incredible, you know? Like, this would be, because it is so deeply meaningful. It's commenting on so many different societal ills. It's exploring um, madness. And I say madness rather than mental illness, because that's how they were conceiving of it. They weren't thinking about it in these kind of clinical terms right. that we think of today, because, you, you know, mental health care is so much more normalized. So you have to think of it as madness, because it has a, has a kind of wild... Chaotic quality to it that I feel like you can throw back to like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and mm. stuff of like what, you know, yeah. madness on on a level that is surreal, you know, madness on a like, you know, the keen yellow kind of thing where it it's it's almost supernatural, the madness. And that's why that's one of the reasons Norma is so vampiric and has, you know. I want her yeah. little cigarette like right, holder.
1: Right. She you know yeah. she
2: yeah she's got all these little details these little meticulous things that come out of that madness and mm-hmm. the, the creative madness.
1: <sighs> it's yeah, and and Gloria Swanson portrays it brilliantly, and I think Woo! that's one of the the great things about how they made the film is like they wanted to write this and get let's get real silent stars
0: mm-hmm. and tell
1: the story from an actual silent star who kind of had something similar happen, and you know, and and which is a very like um, the fact that this even got greenlit and made in Hollywood, mm-hmm. I'm like that's insane. Yeah. Um, like let's let's show some let's show dirt about how we operate. That does not happen very often.
2: No, yeah, and that you know, and noir allows you to do that. Like I feel like a lot of the like Hollywood like commentary on Hollywood movies like have a lot of these noir elements, and they're very gritty mm. and cynical. Like cynicism is a huge theme in yeah. cinema, uh, noir film, noir, uh, and to apply that to Hollywood, like you can't help but look at basically the people that are failing like that is the thing about noir where it's like can be very much uh about like the working class and that's why i think you could do a lot of really good leftist analysis because it's looking at the people who are struggling like who is struggling under the industry who's not making it who's not doing well and let's look at those characters and see what those characters are doing and like how we can make those characters act and then And and so it's like the people that are doing well are the people who are poor and not being economically successful. And the people who aren't doing well are like Norma, who are victims of the industry and their own uh, wealth and madness. And, you know, so it's like these two different kinds of victims of the industry um, really lend themselves to a noir story. And, uh, you know, it's like Hollywood doesn't like looking at the dirty laundry, but I feel like Hollywood likes to pretend that it's self-aware and like creatives yeah. also like to kind of like pretend that they're suffering for their art a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like it's like there's a level of vanity to these kinds of pictures, um, especially considering this movie so beautiful. That's the thing is it's like it's so incredibly wonderfully shot. Billy Wilder just yeah. does such an incredible job. So it's sort of Billy like Wilder. It's another have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too moment we're basically being like, oh, we're being so frank about the ills of our industry, but also look at this gorgeous movie that we made in this industry, <laughs> yeah. right?
1: Right. I'm starving it for was my Well, but, but, but I made $50 million.
2: It's all worth it. It's okay if a yeah. shitheel screenwriter gets murdered in a pool. Like, at least we, you know, we get these great movies. <laughs> Who cares if a woman, like slowly descends into madness, like whatever. She made a bunch of great movies. Like it's, it's sort of like we're constantly placing art above the people.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Cause there's the, it's, it's like that, oh, well, film and cinema is the art. It's going to live forever. You have mm-hmm. to, you know, sacrifice and do what you can for the art.
2: Mm-hmm. Preser- preservation. And it's that yeah. nostalgic impulse, right? Of being like, we have to like preserve it and maintain it and perpetuate mm-hmm. it but capitalism is like very counter to that artistic spirit because it considers the past obsolete (laughs) and it wants to be like talkies, uh, technicolor, (laughs) just like you were saying, like the fads, uh, capitalism is that boom bust thing of being like, everybody's got cattle and but like, Oh shit, we had so much cattle. There's not enough grass. They all die. You know, it's like where it's just like, it keeps building on that. But like in, uh, Hollywood, it's like, viewers of the grass where they're just sort of like we've been obsessed with this like you know westerns we've been obsessed with noir noir's over we've been obsessed Mm -hmm. with westerns westerns over we've been obsessed with big big musicals that's over and it's like hollywood is constantly like I'm really interested in when the like uh, the like Marvel movie bust when the
1: superheroes happens. are gonna go. Yeah.
2: Um I'm not like saying that they're bad and I'm like looking forward to it. I'm just interested because this is these are how the cycles go, because the right. industry is acting like this is the way that movies are made now, which is they've done over and over and over again since the twenties, since Silent Film. This is how we make movies and how it's always gonna be. And that's Norma Desmond.
1: Yeah. Well, because especially if you think about how I mean, well, speaking of like Cecil B. DeMille in and, and kind of their, I, I would say the, the superhero movies of their day would be like a Ben-Hur or Cleopatra mm-hmm. or these big budget yep. thousands of extras and set pieces. And like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the same thing, I would think.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like that aesthetic, be, you know, it became dated. Um, Like there's that uh, Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, where they're like, it's a great love letter to an era of like golden age Hollywood that, you know, that was very like, this is how movies are made and they're going to be made like that forever. Mm -hmm. And then you have the big uh, George Clooney speech and he does such a great job of impersonating that style of acting right and but to like a contemporary audience like it's like a joke it because because it's Mm -hmm. so over the top and actually in this movie um joe and betty at the new year's eve party start like doing like 1940s kind of acting you know like they're kind of impersonating the past and using that to be like flirtatious so they're also living in the past which is something he's constantly judging norma for doing but he's doing the same thing he's playing like she's just playing all the time Mm -hmm. um but he, you know, it, but it's okay when he does it. It's not okay when Norma does it because it's too much. But right. it's okay but when it's I okay do for him it with Betty. You know, it's okay for us because we're cool.
1: Right, exactly. Um, let's do this. Before we, we kind of wrap Pop, up, I wanted to ask, um, do you think this movie could be made today? Do you think there's a split in film where you're like, okay, this is kind of the, or would it just be more of like an aging actress who was maybe big in like the 70s, 80s, 90s? Or, or is this or is that time between that 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 break between silent and talkies just not the same now?
2: It's not the same. It's absolutely a critical element that speaking was introduced to film. It completely revolutionized the art, completely changed the art uh, f- on like deep fundamental levels. Like I talked about the intimacy of filming. So much of the process was completely changed Um, And then as you had these German expressionists coming in uh, from Germany, right, they then revolutionized the cinematography in Hollywood. And so that the fact that those two things coincided, like, you know, with the rise of fascism also like globally, like that 1950 Hollywood was such a distinct time and the experience of silent film actors over the intervening intervening years to get to 1950 had a very unique experience and say an actor in the seventies is like not going to have the same experience because they still have this, uh, fundamental, um, similarity between then and now, which is dialogue based and cinematography based. So it's like those, Mm -hmm. those like fundamental production processes. Once sound was introduced, uh, were such a huge revolution that don't have a corollary today. So yeah. it's like you can't you can't make this movie today. It's just not it just weird not in the historical context. Mm-hmm. They did a stage play with Glenn Close, I believe, and yeah. like that is the only way that you can do Sunset Boulevard in a contemporary way is on stage.
1: Well, because if they made a film today, they would probably have to set it in yeah. the same time frame back then. But then the impact now, no one would care because no. No one really watches have, silent movies. Yeah, you'd have
2: to you'd have to infuse a lot of history lesson into it. It would have to be yeah. kind of a nerd. It would be like a nerd experience. Like, um, yeah, they di- there's this movie Nightmare Alley, um, Tyrone oh, Power, okay. and then they re- Guillermo del Toro remade it. Cate Blanchett's in it, um, and it's incredible. It's an incredible remake, but it is more accurate to the book. But in mm. order to like really make it hit, like they did have to lay a lot more foundations and in, in order to contextualize where everyone was at at this time
0: yeah. um,
2: and and they also then had to spend a lot of money on the visuals to make the visuals worth it so
1: right. that's
2: the thing if they were trying to do um, Sunset Boulevard today it would be an incredibly expensive production just to make all the sets and all the costumes compete like it would be like we're in color now and it's like trying to like create like to, you'd have to level up the visuals of sunset boulevard in order for it to be contemporary but yeah. i just think it would fall flat i would really recommend against trying to do this like there's so many other film noir that you could adapt today or you could do neo like i like the long goodbye translated to mm. 1970s elliot gould perfectly you know detective yeah. stories there's so many noir stories that that can translate to today but this one is very much a time capsule, and that, that's kind of why I wanted to. One of the reasons I wanted to pick it for for this appearance uh, to encourage people to watch this movie because it is so unique and so special.
1: Absolutely, no, and this, this was definitely a good pick. I'm 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 glad that you picked it because I because like I said, I I've heard about it. it I've seen it. the quotes, and you know, I've kind of, but I've never actually watched it. So to actually watch it and sit down and and. Mm-hmm. And, and experience it, especially living, you know, in LA and kind of getting a little bit more of that. It just, I was like, yep, this all makes sense. This yeah. fits. Um, and
2: it, it'll make so, and it makes so many other subsequent movies, like make more sense. Like it provides this context mm-hmm. for a lot of movies that it influenced, for instance, you're like, oh, I like, like the, you know, the, the, the narration and the starting with the end and him floating in the pool, like all of these images and these, all this iconography has been, referenced and alluded to in cinema ever since then uh and and, yeah. and it's like it become very much culturally embedded because it is so iconic and Gloria Swanson is so iconic and william holden's narration is so iconic uh so it's like it, it is a really um pivotal piece in in a kind of film education and a film noir education so i hope Absolutely. people who watched it to listen to this really enjoyed it
1: yes it is definitely worth a watch um, i know i got the the blu-ray and there's like a bunch of extras so i'm I'm gonna have to go back and watch it with Mm -hmm. with all of that um thank (laughs) you for doing this i appreciate it stephanie i loved it awesome um i'm i'm sure i'll have you back i'll i'll talk you into watching some other movie yeah we'll chat it up um where can people find you with all you you do so many things you write and you do cosplay and you make tiktoks and uh Thank you like a renaissance person? You just doing no. it
2: Thank you. Um, I do. Uh, I do do a lot of stuff. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stephanie J. Ed. Because uh, I'm Stephanie. Ed. My last name is EDD. I know it's weird. If you meet anybody in the world whose last name is E They're related to me. Um, yes. So, yeah, Stephanie J. Ed on Insta and Twitter. You can find me at Stephanie Ed on TikTok. Uh, I'm producing quite a I'm hoping to produce a lot. And I have been producing a lot of uh November TikTok content, so I hope that people Go check that out um, there, There's uh, Some Sunset Boulevard content that will be available When this comes out yes. uh, Along with some movie recs, I've been doing Cosplays, it's been really fun, so you can find me There, uh, and if you go to my website StephanieEd.com uh, You can learn a little bit about um, The noir novel I'm trying to sell And also get my Film Noir Database, I made, I've made. i been keeping This database since like 2018 uh, through Airtable and it's got uh, records for like more than 150 movies. I'm gonna be adding a bunch this month because I've been watching new ones. Yes. And uh, they all, the, most of them have links to where you can watch the movies for free. I'm very big on that, trying to like give people movies that they can watch them for free and 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 share it and you know not get paywalled. And uh, yeah, so at stephania.com you can get that database and there's uh, they, a lot of them include my viewing notes. I think I have some notes for Sunset Boulevard. Hopefully so. I make some good jokes and a lot of the other <laughs> movies have like viewing note records where I complain about the music and how no one eats the food that they order. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so that's, so that's what I would say. I, I hope people come check out my November content.
1: Yes, it is definitely worth it. Um. No. Awesome. Thank you. And yeah, well, I'm sure we'll find some other interesting stuff to, to talk about next time. I'm excited. Um, yeah so that's it for this episode of the movie club go check out our stuff on the nerdtrek.com uh merch and other podcasts and stuff that stephanie's also on a podcast go check out that uh acting captain um but no yeah well um yeah go check out sunset boulevard go watch it again and again i think it's definitely something one of those where you can watch it multiple times and pick out something new each time because there's this there's so many layers
2: and it's very quotable
1: absolutely absolutely yeah because when we first meet her and when we last see her are like two of the biggest quotes that are Mm -hmm. that that she does and it's great um cool yes that's it for us uh send in your movie recommendations if you want us to watch anything I'll, i'll i will literally watch anything i don't care um but that's it for us thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time